You are listening to ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Revealing Retina, presented by the American Retina Foundation, the charitable arm of the ASRS, the American Society of Retina Specialists. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Levitt, Chairman of the American Retina Foundation, and joining me today is Dr. Alan Ruby. Dr. Ruby practices in Royal Oak, Michigan. He's a clinical assistant professor of biomedical science at the Eye Research Institute, Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan, and he's a recipient of the American Society of Retina Specialists Honor Award in 2009. Today we are going to discuss diabetic retinopathy, the different types, how it affects vision, and how it may be associated with other somatic effects resulting from diabetes mellitus. Dr. Ruby, welcome. Uh, thank you very much. I guess we can go ahead and get started, and if you'd like to start out with the two types of diabetic retinopathy and maybe expound on the non-proliferative first. Sure. There are basically two forms of diabetic retinopathy, what we used to refer to as background diabetic retinopathy, which is probably more accurately termed non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy, and then the more aggressive form of the disease or more advanced form, which is called proliferative diabetic retinopathy. The first form, the non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy, basically refers to changes in the retina that occur within the plane of the retina itself. So this would involve changes such as microaneurysms, dot and blot hemorrhages, heart exudates, which are fatty lipid deposits, and basically other microvascular changes that affect the retina itself. And when this becomes more advanced, it can lead to the more common form of decreased vision, which results from what we refer to as diabetic macular edema, which is the most common cause of decreased vision in our patients who have diabetes. And what actually causes the edema? Well, we think it's formed from two different problems. The basic underlying mechanism is the breakdown of the capillary barrier to fluid egress from the retina. So you have some biochemical changes that occur that allow permeability of the vessels to increase, and this can lead to fluid leakage into the retina. And you basically see two different forms of this. We have what's called diffuse diabetic macular edema when you have a generalized breakdown of the blood retinal barrier and diffuse leakage of fluid encompassing the entire back of the eye. And then we have areas of what we call focal leakage, which are areas of microaneurysms that can lead fluid and lead to more focal areas of swelling. We're just going to go ahead and take this through the various things that the family practice or an internist, endocrinologist would see when they look into the eye to examine the retina. A microaneurysm represents dilation of the capillaries. How is this reflected in other vessels in the body? Well, you can see changes throughout the body which are very similar to those of vascular changes in the eye. The human eye, luckily, is the only place where you can directly visualize the blood vessels without having to do x-rays or any other invasive procedures. So the retina, you can actually see these little microaneurysms with a direct ophthalmoscope or other imaging device, and they show up as little red dots in the eye along the vessels. And you see similar changes throughout the body. If you were to look at uh, histopathology slides of the kidney, brain, other areas where you have small capillaries, you see very similar changes, which is why we feel that the diabetes in the eye, the retinopathy itself, also can portray other findings that you see systemically uh, related to diabetic neuropathy, nephropathy, and other changes that one sees with small vessel disease throughout the body. Some of the other changes uh, that can be seen in non-proliferative disease you know, represent dilation of larger vessels. What does that mean? What is the significance of that? 
Well, some of the other vessels that we'll see that will get larger in the eye, some of the veins, you'll see what is called uh, venous beating or sausaging of the vessels. And usually this is an indication of more ischemia in and around the retina. And it's this lack of blood flow and this ischemic stimulus that causes the vasodilation in response to that ischemia in the eye. And this can be an indication of what we refer to as pre-proliferative diabetic retinopathy or a more advanced form of the non-proliferative retinopathy. And the description of cotton wool spots, is that something that you would find with this type of ischemia? Yes, you would. Uh, a cotton wool spot is basically a focal area of capillary closure, or what we'd call a small area of nerve fiber layer infarct. And this represents a small area of non-perfusion of the retina and the superficial layers. And you basically see this sort of as a whitish, feathery, ill-defined lesion on the superficial part of the retina. And this can be seen again with the direct ophthalmoscope or other imaging. And it basically represents a small capillary occlusion similar to a, an infarct of the uh, retina. So when you see only microaneurysms, can you also have edema of the macula affecting vision? You can. And a lot of times it's very difficult to pick up, especially without having specialized testing. These little areas of microaneurysms uh, frequently will be surrounded by shallow areas of intraretinal edema or fluid, and they're very, very difficult to pick up without specialized testing. So the answer is yes, these areas can lead to focal edema, and a lot of times this is very easily treatable in the time when you really want to be able to treat these patients to reduce the risk of visual loss. Is there any advantage into having very good diabetic control in affecting the regression of some of these retinal findings? There have been. Interestingly enough, for many, many years, we always assumed that tight blood sugar control reduced the risk of the complications from retinopathy, but it really wasn't until the DCCT trial results came out in 1993 where we were shown conclusively that better control reduced the risk of complications. And what that study basically showed us that were in patients who had no retinopathy or very mild retinopathy, tight blood sugar control reduced the risk of developing any of the complications from diabetes, including the neuropathy, nephropathy, or the retinopathy by about 75%. And in those patients who already had blood vessel abnormalities or retinopathy, it reduced the progression by about 60%. So we had pretty conclusive evidence which showed that tight control did reduce the development of or the progression of any of these complications from diabetes. Excellent. That certainly is a method of treatment. Now, if you were an internist, endocrinologist, family practice, and you were taking care of a diabetic patient, is there anything that you would recommend that you do to try and identify vision changes early in these people? It's very critical we pick these up very early because, in all honesty, the primary care specialist is going to be the person who's going to see these patients most frequently and actually be the person to pick up the changes at the earliest time. So what we strongly recommend is that at every visit for a diabetic that a basic vision be checked and documented on the chart, that the patient be asked about any new visual symptoms they have, which would include not only blurred vision but also distorted vision, and that all the patients who are newly diagnosed diabetics have a complete dilated eye exam at the time of their diagnosis for the older onset and then shortly thereafter for the younger onset diabetics. And really the key to prevention of visual loss is the prompt referral for dilated examination so these early changes can be picked up and treated before the patients have any change in their vision. Very good. For those of you who are just tuning in, 
You are listening to The Revealing Retina on ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Roy Levitt, and I'm speaking with Dr. Alan Ruby, and we are discussing diabetic retinopathy. We just finished a session on non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy, and now we're going to speak about proliferative disease. Alan, would you just give us a description of what this means? Sure. Proliferative diabetic retinopathy is the more advanced stage of the retinopathy. And basically what it refers to is the growth of abnormal blood vessels out of the plane of the retina. So when we were referring to non-proliferative changes, these were all within the retina itself. And so now as we advance, what will happen is that due to an ischemic stimulus, blood vessels will start to grow out of the plane of the retina and onto the back surface of the vitreous. Uh, the vitreous is the jelly that fills the eye. And these blood vessels can grow and are really divided into two different areas, that of neovascularization of the disc. So those are blood vessels that grow in and around the optic nerve. And then neovascularization elsewhere, which basically encompasses blood vessel growth anywhere else on the retina outside of the immediate area around the optic nerve. And you mentioned the ischemic process that stimulates this vessel growth. The ischemia is from what? The ischemia is from capillary closure or areas of blood vessels that are basically closing off in the retina due to the diabetes. And we see this throughout the body, patients who develop a neuropathy or nephropathy. The capillary closure in those areas leads to decreased functioning of the tissue, for example, in the kidney leading to proteinuria, etc., we see a similar change in the retina where you actually can take photographs and do angiography of the retina itself, and you can see capillary closure and areas of ischemia, which we feel leads to elevated levels of something called vascular endothelial growth factor, which is probably the contributing factor to the development of these abnormal blood vessels. And how do you look at the circulation of the retina? Yeah, we're very lucky. Uh, unlike other areas of the body where you have to use x-ray technology such as cardiac catheterization, etc., we're able to directly visualize the blood vessels in the retina directly with just a standard fundus camera. And so what we're able to do is by using the camera and shooting photographs through the patient's pupil, we're able to directly image those blood vessels. And you can do that with just simple plain color photography. Or we also use something called fluorescein angiography in which a non-iodine-based dye is injected through a peripheral vein. That dye goes up into the eyes and we can directly image the retinal circulation with the camera. And using various filters, we're able to actually visualize the blood flow to the eye, to the retina, and actually can document areas of non-perfusion, ischemia, and see other changes from the retinopathy directly on the film, or in most cases, digitally now. And that's an office procedure? It is an office procedure that uh, we do right in the office, correct. Right, and fluorescein is a dye which fluoresces when a blue light is focused on it. That is correct, and then you can use a filter to filter out that reflected light, and then you actually will be able to print an image that shows you very beautiful angiographic evidence of blood flow throughout the eye and allows you to diagnose areas of new vessels or abnormal vessels that may be growing. And once these vessels start to grow, how does that affect vision? That's exactly the problem that we have is that a lot of times patients have absolutely no symptoms whatsoever when these blood vessels start to grow because, in fact, it's completely asymptomatic. It's really not until the blood vessels start to bleed that the patients start to complain of symptoms. And the most common symptom one would hear from a hemorrhage would be the nuance of floaters or little dots in the vision that the patient may present with as the earliest complaint indicative of hemorrhage in the eye. 
And so the diabetic patients need to be made aware by their physicians if they see floaters or a shadow in their vision that they need to either come in to their internist or family practice person or go to their ophthalmologist. Absolutely critical. And again, this is one of the problems that we have in identifying patients who have diabetic retinopathy is because it's basically a silent killer. The patients are completely asymptomatic until they've already developed abnormal blood vessels or have already developed swelling in the retina leading to the decreased vision. So clearly, the most important thing we can do for our patients is preventative, which is to get them in for regular dilated eye exams so that these early findings can be picked up and treated before they have a loss of vision or a hemorrhage. Is there any evidence that proliferative disease resulting from changes in the small blood vessels occurs in other parts of the body? A very good evidence. When you do similar photography using catheterization techniques elsewhere, such as in the heart or cerebral vasculature or in the kidneys, a lot of times you'll see these same microvascular abnormalities. And we're fairly confident that the changes and the mechanism by which they occur is fairly similar throughout the body because we're basically dealing with capillary beds whereas the tight junctions in those capillary beds is somehow disrupted by the diabetes, leading to structural changes, leading to proteinuria, neuropathy, where patients lose feeling in limbs, etc. And those same things manifest themselves in the retina. So patients with proliferative diabetic retinopathy certainly have a much higher percentage of having diabetic kidney disease and coronary artery disease? Yes, and actually there's very, very clear correlation between the development of diabetic retinopathy and even more specifically proliferative retinopathy and complications throughout the body. So if one looks at the incidence of nephropathy, neuropathy, orthostatic hypotension, uh, the incidence of amputation, those incidents are markedly, markedly elevated in patients who have developed retinopathy and more specifically in patients with proliferative retinopathy. So a lot of times the ophthalmologist may be the first one who will pick up on a patient who is having proteinuria or is having problems with blood pressure or other systemic findings because they will see them, they will complain about it in the office, and then those patients can be sent back to their primary care physician for further evaluation. I'd like to thank Dr. Alan Ruby for speaking to us about diabetic retinopathy. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Levitt. And I'd like to thank you for listening to The Revealing Retina, presented by the American Retina Foundation. For more information, visit us online at AmericanRetina.org. And we welcome your questions and comments about this or any other show. Please send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at www.reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and our new podcast features will allow you access to our entire program library. Again, thanks for listening.